Um, the Bible is full of questions, right? We, we tend to look to the Bible for answers, but it turns out there's something like 3,000 questions in the Bible. And you probably recognize that Jesus asked a lot of questions. A lot of times somebody would ask him a question and he would respond with a question. And, and Laura doesn't think it's too funny when I do that. I'm like, well, that's what Jesus would do. And she doesn't think it's funny. I do, but she doesn't. Um, but did you know that after the resurrection, so Jesus was, wasn't here for long. So all the questions that he asked, after the resurrection, he asked seven questions. Um, and so today I want to talk about one of those. So today our discussion might seem a little bit like an Easter discussion, something we would do on Easter Sunday. And maybe it is, but the question is so important, it applies to every day, not just Easter. So you might not have on your fancy Easter tie or your fancy Easter dress, but it's okay. It's still an important topic that we're going to cover today. So I'm going to read John 20, 1 through 15. It's a bit long, but it's our story for the day. And then we will talk about this question that Jesus asked. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still not, did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? All right, we're going to stop there for now. Who is it you are looking for? That's our question for the day. On the surface, this seems like a pretty simple question, right? Who are you looking for? Well, the obvious answer is Jesus. All right, so let's go home and eat lunch, right? Um, but... The, the question is a lot deeper than that, and, and I just want to make sure that we're answering it truthfully to ourselves, okay? So that's kind of where we're going today. Um, this is an important question that we must all answer, and it's easy to skip over it, but, but my prayer is that we wouldn't, that we would dig deep into this question and realize if we truly are, in fact, searching for Jesus, all right? So we're going to start with a little background about Mary. Since Jesus asked her this question, there's some things we should know about the background of the story so we can understand um, the, the setting and, and how this may apply to us now. So I'm just going to go through a little background about Mary. So there are several Marys in the Bible, and it's a bit confusing. Uh, this is Mary Magdalene. She's from a place called Magdala. And during the time of Christ, this was a thriving, um, 
populous town on the coast of Galilee, about three miles or so from Capernaum, and they were known for textiles and um, dye works, like dyeing fabrics. We have no record of Mary's family um, or her age. She's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels. In eight of the 14, she's mentioned uh, with other females, although every time I believe she's mentioned first. In the times that she's mentioned alone, the connection is always with, like this one, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Luke tells us that Mary had demons that Jesus healed her from and several others. Um, After she was delivered, Mary became a disciple of Jesus, um, along with several other women who uh, ministered with Jesus. Um, They traveled with him. Mary followed Jesus to the very end. Sort of this last like 24-hour period, many of the disciples bleed and hid and they were scared and they didn't know what to do. So we, as we read about the events of Easter, um, we read about Mary, who's she's there. Um, she's she's tormented, right? She's she's extremely sad, but she's always we. And as we follow the story, she's always still there. Um, in the Louvre, there is a famous painting. That represents Mary very well. It's it's described as the world is wrapped in shadow, the stars are dead, and yet in the darkness is seen a kneeling form. It is Mary Magdalene with loving lips and hands pressing against the bleeding feet of Christ. So this painting describes this Mary that we read about in Scripture, Mary Magdalene. So. As we gather from the story, Mary was part of a group that was very concerned about the proper burial of Jesus. So that's why she was going to the tomb. And then the story takes this really dramatic turn from the good. And all good dramas do, right? They, they, um, they sort of suck you in with emotion and, and it's roller coaster. And, and usually a good, a good story usually has something sad because there's then nothing to celebrate if there wasn't something sad to begin with. So that's what happens here. And then Mary gets there, and it takes them a little bit, but they realize that Jesus has, in fact, been resurrected. So Mary was one of the last at the cross. She was the first to the tomb. She's in tears. She rushes to get Peter and John. She doesn't quite yet understand what's going on. They come back with her. They leave again, but she stays in typical Mary fashion. And this is when she has this encounter with Jesus. She doesn't at first recognize who he is. And then she thinks it's a groundskeeper. And he asks her the, the very important question, who is it that you are looking for? Okay. So Mary is an excellent role model of devotion, right? She was, from the very first time she was introduced to Jesus, she's devoted to him. She recognizes he's the Lord, her, the Savior, right? She healed him. He healed her. Um, but more than that, she recognized who she, he really was. And she very uh, devoted to him and followed him all the way through to this tomb. So Mary, in fact, was looking for Jesus at the tomb, right? So Jesus asked this question, who are you looking for? He knew the answer already. So this is key to most of the questions that Jesus asked. He's not really looking for the answer to that question. He already knew it. So what was he asking her? All right. So 
that's the key to us unlocking the truth to this question. Are we really looking for Jesus? Is Why was he asking her that? Okay, so Mary really was looking for Jesus. She wanted to make sure that his body was prepared the correct way for burial. So she really was looking for him. But here's the first truth for us today. We are not on a great search for God. You might not agree first, but let me, let, me, let me explain. Okay, we are not on a great search for God. Here's why I say that. By definition, if you are searching for something, then that thing must be lost, right? But Jesus is not lost. So therefore, you're really not searching for him, all right? He's not lost. He's not hidden. He's not hiding from us. We didn't misplace him. Right. So therefore, we're we're really not searching for him. So Romans 1, 19 through 20 says this. Since what we since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without is without excuse. He has promised to be near us in James 4, verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Similar verses like this. The psalmist says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The chronicler, chronicler says that the Lord is with you when you are with him. Paul told the Philippians that the Lord is near. Right? There's lots of... Description like this in the Bible. God is near us. He's not lost. So you probably have socks that you can't find, right? You probably have keys that you've misplaced. You probably often can't find your cell phone. Probably even this morning, there's something that you were looking for, a shirt, I mean, I don't know, a favorite thing that you like that you couldn't find. All those things might actually be lost. I don't know. More than likely, you put them somewhere where you wouldn't forget about it and you forgot. But, but God is not lost. Right? Let me share with you this interesting story. So when we first moved here, we had a, a cat named Skittles. And some of you might have known Skittles. He was like the best cat. Um, but he had some kidney problems. The vet had told us he wasn't going to be around for much longer. And one day he ran away, which is very unlike him. But I think sometimes animals know that their time is near and they... They look for a place to go. So anyway, we assumed he was gone and we would never see him again. One night we were at church, and I won't tell you who, some of you know who, but a very dear friend pulls up to church and she finds Julia and says, Julia, you need to come outside to have something awesome. Julia goes out there and she goes, I found Skittles. And Julia looks at the cat and goes, mm, that's not Skittles. Um, but, but, but the thought was awesome, right? She went, she knew that Laura, it was actually Laura's birthday. And she knew that Laura was very sad that Skittles was gone. And she went and looked for Skittles uh, because Skittles was lost. And and she's a very good friend. And she was like, I'm going to go find – she didn't think she would find him. But she's like, I'm going to go try and find Skittles. And she thought she had found Skittles. And so and then she was mortified because she stole somebody's cat and had to take it back. Um, so Skittles was lost. You have lost things. But, but I'm telling you, God is not lost. Right? God is right there. Right. Jesus says, I come and I knock on the door. Right. Jesus isn't lost. We might not pay attention. We might not see him. We might ignore him. There's a lot of 
reasons we might not see him, but it's not because he's lost. My guess is that every single one of us here recognizes like this to be true, right? And my guess is also that every single one of us at some point in time has has done something like ignored God, pretended you didn't see him, maybe you're too engrossed in something else, and maybe you did miss him. But you probably recognize that it wasn't because he's lost, it's because something that you did, right? It's easy to say we're searching for God, but really we're just looking for a justification to be the Lord of our own lives, right? And not not have to answer to God. I think we're pretty good at this whole rationalization thing, right? Um, don't tell Laura I said that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but we're really good at it with God. So, and it's not something we should be good at, right? We should be looking at God, looking to him, allowing him to be the leader of our life. Instead, we rationalize that away, say we're looking for God, but in effect, we're just looking for an excuse to do what we want. All right. Number two, if you're following along on the notes, our search for God can easily become just an illusion, right? So this is what I've been talking about. I'm fascinated by the, the really good illusionists out there. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of them. There's this guy I once saw, and he's pretty famous, and he was doing like street illusions. And he went up to this guy and he was showing him how he does what he does. So this guy knew he was an illusionist, right? And so we oftentimes think, well, when I'm looking for the trick, he's not going to get over on me. And so this guy's talking to him and he's showing him things. And this is amazing, right? So at some, he ends up taking off the guy's scarf and the guy doesn't even know it. But the craziest one was he took the guy's glasses off and put him on his own face. And the guy never even recognized because he's doing so many other things and talking and all that. And the guy was totally oblivious to I don't know, like he didn't even have his last one, right? So there are master illusionists. And our search for God can end up being just an illusion like that. So the word hoax, H-O-A-X, hoax, it actually comes from the same phrase, hocus pocus, okay? And then that phrase, hocus pocus, actually comes from a Latin phrase. I might butcher this a little bit, but hoax est enum corpus meme. All right, that Latin phrase actually means, this is my body. You guys might recognize that phrase, right? That's what Jesus said, this is my body. This is what we do when we celebrate communion. So the conjurers of the like 16th, 17th century, they purposely selected these words to sound like something that the church was doing, right? So this is a, this is a tactic of illusions, right? This is a tactic of the enemy that we have to to say and do things that might sound legitimate in a context that you're trying to trick someone, okay? So these illusionists were obviously tricking people. They weren't doing real magic, but they were trying to at least um, seem like they were related to things that people might have heard preachers saying or in church, right, to to give some um, credibility to what they were doing, all right? So, you know, they were trying to legitimize their fraud, much like we tried to legitimize our searching for God, but not really searching for him. Okay, so when we 
are searching for answers away from God, it's very easy, again, to try to legitimize that, rationalize it away, and say we're searching for God when, in fact, we're not. All right? So we need to be careful about what we're looking for. All right? I'm going to give you a few examples. First one is Adam and Eve looked, but they were still deceived. Right? So in Genesis 3.6, it describes it like this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So Eve looked, but she was still deceived. Adam looked, but he was still deceived. Right? The consequences were disastrous. So we, we sometimes say we're looking, but we have to be very careful. We really need to be sure of who we're looking for, what we're looking for, why we're looking, because otherwise we can have disastrous consequences like this. Another example, Lot's wife looked, but it was out of disobedience. In Genesis 19, we read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angel warned Lot, and in verse 26 we read this, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Right? One brief look, that's all there was. But the consequences for disobedience are usually not good. Um, They might not be immediate sometimes. They might not be as obvious as Lot's wife. But sin has consequences. Disobedience has consequences. And then also David. David looked, but he was really just coveting. Um, In 2 Samuel, we read about the great King David. He should have been with his army, but instead he was home. He went to the roof. He gave a look. And which led to another look, which led to another look. And in 2 Samuel 11:2, we read this. One evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. You can finish the story at home. You probably know what happens. One look leads to another look, leads to another look. And his look led to sin because of coveting. And the result's not good. Right? Adam and Eve were formed by God, literally, right? David is called a man after God's own heart. But they're not careful with what they're looking for, and man, really bad things happen. I would venture to say that none of us would claim to be, like, super Christians like we would assume these these people are, right? They're really not super Christians. We tend to put them a little bit on a pedestal, right? But... We're certainly not David. We're certainly not Adam and Eve. But, man, the lessons, these are powerful lessons. We have to be very careful with why we're looking, how we're looking, what we're looking at. All right. But there is good news. Number three, if you're following on your notes, a look can save us. And we're going to start in the Old Testament, actually. So in Numbers 21. They traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. 
The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up, up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Right? The Israelites had a severe lack of faith. They just couldn't stop complaining. We don't do that, right? We don't complain. And God sent judgment. The people repented. And like God always does, he provided a way. Just one look, and they were saved. The disciple John talks about this in John 3:14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So notice that John draws a correlation to the ultimate gift, Jesus. He must be lifted up on high so that by looking at him, we can be saved. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 12:2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So again, it's not about our great search. It's about the one that we lock eyes on the one that we fix our look on. That's what it's about. So one other lesson, we must look often. So, we must truly look, right? Not use it as an excuse to look for our own, for whatever our own purposes are. We must truly look, but then we must look often. Luke 5.16 says this, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often went to a special place to communicate with, spend time with, hear from, Look to his father. And I know this sounds so obvious, but if Jesus needs to do that, man, how much more do we need to do that? If Jesus needs to often look to the father, how much should we be looking? How much should we really be fixing our eyes on the one true king? And again, really looking at Jesus, right? Who are you looking for? Are we looking for just an excuse to do what we want? Or are we really looking to the one true king to guide us and direct us. All right, so let's go back to our story and check in on Mary. When we left it, she was at the site. She thought it was a groundskeeper. She asked Jesus, but who she thought was a groundskeeper, where they had put um, Jesus. And in verse 16, so we stopped at 15. In verse 16, John 20, verse 16, just says this. Jesus said to her, Mary. That's all it took. Mary immediately recognized that this person is Jesus, raised from, and obviously raised from the dead. Of course, Mary would recognize when Jesus called her name, because how many times had she heard it prior to this? We don't know, but it must have been a lot of times, right? Because remember, from the time that Jesus saved her to the very end, Mary was always there. There must have been many, 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 many conversations between Jesus and Mary. He must have said her name many times. So as soon as she says Mary, she recognizes, oh, this is, this is him, my Savior, Jesus. Okay, back to the question. So Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus wasn't looking for information. He knew what Mary was doing, why she was doing it, why she was there. He knew all of those things. He knew her heart. He knew her devotion to him. He knew she was looking for him, and she found him. So this is the question for us today. Who, and I'll say, or what, 
Who or what are you looking for? Are you looking for the risen Savior? Or are you looking for purpose and meaning in life in the ways of the world? Are you looking for Jesus to be the leader of your life? Or are you looking for an excuse to do what you want? Right? This is really what Jesus is saying. It might seem a little harsh, but these aren't my words. These are his. Okay? Um, who are you looking for? What are you looking for? If you're really looking for Jesus, again, I have great news. You can stop your looking. Right? We know where he is. You know where he is. I mean, he's right here. He can be found by anyone at any time. We don't have to go on a great search. You don't need a map. You don't need a metal detector. You don't need a binoculars. You don't need any of those things. You just need to open your heart to him. So, so today, no matter where you are in your walk with God, it, either it's never started or you've been walking with him for decades, I want to give us just a few minutes to, to just commune with him, right? To, to talk about this question because no matter where you are in that walk, we're still looking for things. All of us are. So whatever it is you're looking for, just spend a few minutes with the Lord and, and talk to him about that. And after a few minutes, I'll pray and close us. But I don't, want, I don't want anyone to leave today without having the opportunity to really contemplate this question and talk to God about it and decide for sure what it is that you are looking for. So if you'll just... Uh, Spend a few moments and commune with the Lord. Lord God, thank you for revealing your unconditional love to us through your son, Jesus. And also through your word. You are the one we are looking for. You are the only one that is worthy. As we leave this place, open our eyes so that we may see the beauty and power of who you are. Help us to look to you, to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we may find the things that will satisfy our souls. Lord, I pray that we would truly be able to answer that you are the one that we are looking for. We pray this in the powerful, eternal, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.